late and you feel, yes, every human being has to be totally free. It's our right. It's our basic, basic right. And once you read it, you, you, you expand. I mean, it stretches your mind, your heart. It stretches everything in you. Welcome to this episode of the Mouse Book Club. Today we'll be discussing The Prophet by Gibran. This is an edited version of a live Mouse Book Club meeting. If you want to join the meetings live, please visit mousebookclub.com and we'll add you to the invite list. Today our guest in the book club is May Rahini. May is the Gibran Chair for Values and Peace at the University of Maryland. Like Gibran, May was born in Lebanon and has lived much of her adult life in the United States. In Lebanon, May attended the American University in Beirut, where she studied political science and international relations. She later moved to Paris and worked for UNESCO. UNESCO is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, and is a specialized agency of the UN that's aimed at promoting world peace and security through international cooperation and education, the sciences and culture. May then moved to Washington, D.C. to do international development work, focusing on education, specifically girls' education in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. And she still lives there, where she continues to promote values and peace and carries on knowledge of Gibran to a new generation of students at the University of Maryland and beyond. So, we hope you enjoy the show. May, could you start us off with helping us with the pronunciation of this author's name? Yes. Let me let me pronounce to you his name. Gibran, not Gibran, and I'll tell you why. And it's Khalil, not Kahalil, and I'll tell you why. So Gibran, Khalil Gibran. That's his name. Uh, maybe people don't know that when Gibran migrated to the U.S. with his family, he was 12 years old. And at Ellis Island, when they arrived, they felt that Khalil is difficult to pronounce because of the KH, kh. that's not something that we have in our American language. So they changed the spelling and made it Khalil. But his real name is Gibran, Khalil Gibran, or Gibran. He became so well known that one word is enough. It's like saying, you're gonna laugh, Madonna or Elvis. Of all the people a university could imagine creating a special chair around, why is Gibran an interesting person? Because of many, many, many reasons. Uh, let me cite only a few, and then if you want to know more, please ask me. But let me cite a few. When he wrote and published The Prophet, his major book, his most famous book. By the way, he wrote in both Arabic and English and published books in Arabic and published books in English. But if you ask anybody who knows anything about Gibran, what is his most famous book? They'll tell you The Prophet in English. He wrote it in English and published it in English in 1923, very close to 100 years ago. So when he published The Prophet, Knopf in New York published it for him. It became an instant bestseller and throughout the 20th century and up till now, but let me talk a little bit about the 20th century. This book was, was either number two or number three bestseller in the world. Of course, there is the Bible, 
there is Shakespeare, but if you look at all of Shakespeare's work, there isn't one work, The Tempest or whatever, or Macbeth or whatever you want. But if you put all of Shakespeare together, and there is Lao Tse, the Chinese philosopher. But that's it, and Gibran, and Gibran. I personally put the Bible aside. This is a religious book. It doesn't, we don't compare, I mean, it's apples to oranges when we compare the Bible to other books that are literary books. So if you look at literature, these are the three names that sold the most in the world. Shakespeare, a British guy, Lao Tse, a Chinese guy, and Gibran from Little Lebanon, from a very small country in the Middle East, Lebanon. So what was Gibran able to tap into that made his work so energizing and powerful for people? Very good. It's a marvelous question. Again, it, somebody can talk for three hours about what did he tap into to make, to make this book so important. Again, in summary, to start with, I think what he tapped into is the fact that he is both from Lebanon and from the USA. He came to this country very young. He was 12 years old. He was very influenced by the USA. But he, Lebanon never, never, never left his heart. He really lived in two worlds. He lived in Lebanon and in the US, regardless of where physically he was. So those two countries influenced his soul, his mind, his heart, in, in very meaningful ways and in very in-depth ways. He comes from the mountains in Lebanon, from a very, very small village, very high up in the mountains near the cedars, and it's rural. And here he comes to the US, first to Boston and then to New York. It's the two extremes. If you want to take two extremes in the world, we take a village in the mountains of Lebanon, very peaceful, very quiet, very calm, and especially in his days. When he left Lebanon, uh, he left Lebanon, his family, his mother, and his half-brother and his two sisters left the Lebanon and came to the U.S. So the mother with four children. He was 12, as I said. They arrived here in 1895. So he grew up in the U.S. at the beginning of the 20th century, then moved to New York in 1912. Here is the child from Lebanon in New York in 1912. And the contrast is amazing. He didn't come from Beirut, the capital of Lebanon, a city. He came from a village in the mountains. It's a little bit like two pools or two sources of knowledge coming together. Two sources, two sources of knowledge, the East and the West. Yeah, spirituality and the modern world. He tried to put them together. Do you personally feel that split? Or that combination of being both Lebanese and American both? I do and I love it. I absolutely love it. I think I'm blessed to be both. I think it's very rich to be both, to be Lebanese and American. And Lebanese is many facets. Lebanese is, yes, Arab, 
But also if we go back to history, Phoenician, if we look at the history of Lebanon, every culture came to Lebanon. The Phoenicians, the French, the Ottomans, the Byzantians, all of them came and stayed for a while in Lebanon and influenced who the Lebanese are. It's a combination of many dimensions of cultures. And then you come to the USA, which is the modern world, the new world, which is technology and science and you know all of that. And there it's spirituality and nature. Gibran loved nature. Many of his books and poems were about nature. One of the titles is The Tempest. Another title, I mean, it's all, there is a lot of nature in what he writes about. So that comes from Lebanon. And modern thinking, or he was influenced, by the way, by the arts in the U.S. Uh, there was a woman in the U.S., her name is Mary Huskell, who got to know him when he was maybe 20. And became a very, very, very close friend to Gibran and became a patron and became a confidant and uh, was willing to pay his studies in Paris. She sent him to Paris to two, for two years and paid everything, his ticket, his stay, his livelihood in Paris to study art. He was, as you well know, also an artist. Well, not everybody probably knows that, that he was both a writer, but also a fine artist uh, who did drawings and paintings. And I'd be curious to know how you think his art and his uh, literature were two expressions of maybe the same thing. As a matter of fact, when he started very young, when he was at school in Boston, one of his teachers noticed how excellent he was in drawing. And she encouraged him. And then it's a long story, but at one point he got introduced to Fred Hollanday in Boston, who was a very well-known photographer and who used to do exhibits of art. And the first exhibit of Gibran, Gibran's art, was at Fred Holliday's gallery in Boston. So he started as an artist, not as a writer. Um, uh, and then the, the first book he wrote was very short, very brief, titled Music in Arabic. It was really a long essay, but he published it as a small book, as a short book. He started really as a fine art artist portraitist and watercolors and oil paintings. And that's how he was known. Mary Haskell met him at the art exhibit at Fred Hollanday, and they became extremely close friends. And she is a, a major, major influence in his life. Mary Haskell was the principal of a school in Boston, and she decided to help Gibran with his education. And she created a program for him to read the classics, the European classics, starting with the Greeks, but also moving to through some European classics and then moving to the USA. She introduced him to Thoreau and Emerson, and she would read the book that she would ask him to read, and they would discuss it together. So she really educated him, influenced him, and she very early on discovered in him a special, not just artist, but 
she, in her diary, she would say, somebody who will have a big influence on the world. That's Mary Haskell, the American uh, principal of a high school in Boston. Without her, I don't know if we would have had the Jibran we have. He might have continued writing in Arabic only. He might have published a lot of stuff in Arabic, but I don't know if he would have written in English without Mary Haskell. Could you or maybe Brian talk about how this work is part of the modern movement? Brian, he asked you to answer that question first. <laughs> Um, sure, yeah. I, I think, first of all, um, maybe um, unpacking that word modern a little bit, you know, in, in his local context, we're talking about modernism. Yeah. Uh, and in literary studies, the motto was make it new. Yeah. Right? So, so, so everything has to feel like a break from what has come before it. Um, and I feel like his appeal to myth and narrative in a way that was available to quote unquote, ordinary readers mm -hmm. is an interesting contrast from the kind of high style that we see in modernism from someone yeah. like T.S. Eliot. Yeah, for yeah. Example. yeah, yeah. Very true. The, Very access, true. The, the accessibility. And then if we think about modern in terms of what does it say to our modern context, um, I think that the, the, the word that was in my mind is quotability. You know, hmm. I was, I yeah, was looking, I like I was, that. I was looking on the website even yeah. The, even the website has a list of his quotations. Yes, we did. We did. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you why, Brian, if I may, because many people would tell us he's so quotable. I mean, the quotability that you just talked about. And as a, my students would tell me that as a result, I decided to put a list of quotable of quotations. Yeah. The book reads as, as a series of aphorisms or couplets yeah. that, that yeah. you can kind of yeah. take out of their immediate context and apply to your life. That, that's yeah. kind of how I see it being modern in our, in our context. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, true. Uh, I don't know if I want to comment more on that. I think what Brian said was excellent. I had a question for you related to that. Yeah. When the word spirituality comes to mind, what does that mean for you in our modern, postmodern, post-postmodern context? And what does spirituality mean, mean within the context of Gibran's work in particular? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's a hard question and I'll try my best. Spirituality, if I want to simplify, I don't want to oversimplify, of course, but it can be a complex notion. But if I want to simplify, it's what allows you to connect with a bigger power, whatever that power is, but allows you to connect also with all of humanity, all of it. It, it. You don't connect to humanity through one religion or through one path, whatever that path is. You connect to everybody through your spirituality. I'm one of those who believes that this whole differentiation between races, ethnicities, is a false approach. We are all connected and we are connected through the race of humanity. There is one humanity and we're all part of that one humanity. 
And to me, that's what spirituality is all about. And I think that's what it is for Gibran, because Gibran specifically says, writes, writes things like, you are my brother, regardless if you are Christian or Muslim or Jew. You are my brother, regardless if you're from the East or from the West. So he's trying to, to himself to connect, but also to guide us in connecting with others and, and going beyond these very, very superficial differentiations and divisions that some people like to use as methods of relating to others by dividing or by seeing differences. What is the role of a prophet? I think the role is to inspire us and maybe even one step further to guide us. That's a bit heavy, for sure to inspire us, possibly to guide us around the values that are common values, common ground values for all of humanity. Um, that's why if you look at his book, these chapters that he talks about, I mean, he talks about our children. He talks about marriage. He talks about love. He talks about friendship. He, he talks about work. I mean, this, is, this, is, this has no nationality. These are topics that the American and the Lebanese and the Indian and the Senegalese and the South African and the Australian and the Brazilian will all talk about. These belong to everybody. These go beyond any borders, beyond any ethnicity, beyond any limitations. These belong to humanity, these topics. And that's what he wanted to talk about and write about and inspire us about. I just read just a few of the 1001 Arabian Nights stories. Yeah. And I, I got a really familiar feeling when, when reading The Prophet. Do you think the, the 1001 Nights possibly could have influenced him? I'll be very honest with you, Jeff. I just don't know. I know what he was reading when he, he wrote The Prophet. And he was reading more American literature and European literature and a lot of Lebanese, pure Lebanese, not Arab. And that's the amazing thing. And it, at that same time, same period, he and a number of Lebanese emigres who came to the U.S. and and were living in New York, who were writers and journalists, decided to create something that they called the Pen League. That was the title, the Pen League. They created it at the first time, 1916, and then the war started and Lebanon was going through hell, some uh, hunger, and they didn't do much. And then they recreated it in 1920. So officially it was recreated in 1920. That was the period when he was writing The Prophet. Uh, his letters and the diary of Mary Haskell tells us that he started writing The Prophet in 1919. So at that period, if we read his letters and the diary of Mary Haskell, we know what he was reading because he would talk to her about that. She would talk to him about that. A lot of it influenced by her. In addition to the list of books that she would ask him to read, he, would, he continued to read Arabic books. And those Arabic books were basically Lebanese Arabic books. And 
a lot of it from his friends who were writing in New York. There is a school of writers, Lebanese in particular, few Syrians who were in New York. In my mind, I compare it to the school of art in France, the Impressionists. They were together, they were friends. Monet and Degas and Manet and Renoir, they were friends. The same in New York. Gibran, and now you're gonna be surprised, my uncle was one of them, his name is Amin Rihani, like my name, and Elia Abu Mahdi and Abdul Masih Haddad and many of them, and Mikhail Naimi. They lived in New York, they were together, they were friends, they were writing in Arabic and in English, and trying to publish in both languages. He was the most well-known amongst them. He was like the Monet, if you want, of the Impressionists, the most well-known. And he was kind of influenced also by them. So the influences are American, in particular, European to a certain extent, and Lebanese. Let me give you one person he was very influenced by uh, in Europe, Nietzsche. Thus spoke Zarathustra. Um, he, as I said earlier, he was also very influenced by Emerson and Thoreau. Uh, he was influenced by uh, German philosophy. Again, Mary Haskell had a big role to play and her list of books is amazing. And she says, her diary, and she wrote it religiously every day, every evening, most probably. She would say what they read and what they discussed. And anybody who read her diary, and I read part of it and their letters, then you know what he was reading. I wouldn't claim that I know everything that he was reading because I didn't read her full diary. It's in a museum now. It's not published. And I went once to the museum and spent time uh, in uh, North Carolina to read that diary. Uh, as I said, it's not published. Uh, I hope one day they'll publish it and I hope one day they'll publish their correspondence so we would learn more about what he read. Of all the books we could read right now, in this moment, why would we encourage our readers to pick up the prophet? Um, many reasons. A major reason is that just look at what's happening in our country in the U.S. Look at the social uh, uh, upheavals that are happening because of racism. Gibran really wrote to inspire us that we are one. There is no difference between a white American and a black American, African American. He wrote to inspire us that the common ground amongst us human beings is by far more important than the differences, the superficial differences. He wrote to tell us all the time that love is a major, major value, all types of love. He was, wasn't talking only about love, uh, physical love, or the love that leads two people to decide to live their life together, but love of humanity. That is so relevant to, our, to what we're going through. I mean, there is divide now in this country, and we all know why, why there is that divide. More than ever before, at least from my perspective. From my perspective, and I've been here since 1977. From my perspective, the divide is more vocal, more aggressive, and bigger than ever before. And I think Gibran is very relevant, relevant because 
his narrative is the exact opposite of the divide. He is trying to inspire us that this divide is superficial if we're talking about color of skin. This divide is also superficial if we're talking about my religion and your religion. All religions can be respected and all religions can inspire us. This divide is, is also superficial if we're talking about cultural differences. We can learn from each other. The more you read him, the more you understand that his message is about the unity of humanity. He would be so disappointed if he hears the narrative of today. That's not the America that he admired and was part of. At least that's how I read him. What is it about Gibran's work that makes him an American writer? Many things. Most American writers originally came from somewhere. <laughs> and so that's one. I think his experience is an American experience. He was very much into the galleries of the U.S. His objective was to have exhibits in the galleries of Boston and New York. He had so many, so many, so many friends that were writers and artists from Boston and from New York, American writers and artists, in addition to that collection of Lebanese uh, writers who were also Lebanese Americans. So his experience when he writes about work, I think there is a lot of the U.S. in his his chapter or his essay about work. When he wrote Jesus, Son of Man, that book that came after the prophet, uh, he wrote it in English, published it in English, also by Knopf. I think a lot of the ideas there were really also American ideas. So, but he's also a mixture, he's also Lebanese. If a Lebanese who lives in Lebanon hears me say that, they say, wait a second, he's Lebanese. I don't think it's either or. It's both. Does he have a similar currency or popularity in Lebanon today? Oh my God, they're crazy about him. They're totally crazy about him. There is a museum in his name. There are many statues in Lebanon that are Gibran statues. There are many streets that are named after him. Oh yes, he he's very very popular in Lebanon. Very popular. Do you do you feel that his work connects with the young people that you interact with at the University of Maryland, either in the classroom yes. or on campus? Yes, it's amazing how the young people love him. And as you said, or somebody said, they quote him. I always wondered. They're coming from so many different fields, not just the literature field or philosophy or whatever. You, but you expect that those students would be more interested in him. They all were just inspired by Gibran. They, I, it was really interesting the way you pointed out kind of this duality of he yeah. lived in Lebanon and then New York, and even just the difference between like rural and urban. Yeah. And I noticed in The Prophet, even when he talked about things like love or marriage, it was always through this duality of love, yeah. the pleasure and the pain, or, you know, marriage, yeah. it's the closeness of the distance. Is that a theme that you think continues through other of his works, this kind of duality or yes. something that's... It yes, absolutely, absolutely. And the more you read Gibran, the more you'll find it. Jesus to him is, he was very influenced by, influenced by Jesus, by the way. And he wrote his book that became also quite well known, not as known as the prophet, but maybe the second most sold book of Gibran 
in English, because he has his Arabic books and his English books, is Jesus, Son of Man. And he titled it Son of Man, but he also recognizes that he is uh, Son of God and Son of Man. So uh, that duality again. When he writes about nature, he writes often about how serene and calm nature can be, and suddenly he talks about the tempests. And, and so again, yes, you write about that. You will see that in Gibran. Let me say one thing that you made me think about, and it's important. Gibran had many women who played an extremely important role in his life. I mentioned Mary Haskell, and no doubt she's the most important woman in his life. But also there is a Lebanese writer, women writer, who lived part of his life in Lebanon, but the majority of his life in Egypt, who is a contemporary of Gibran, and they developed a correspondence over 21 years until he died. And many people would tell you it's a love story, but they never met. Her name is May, like my name. I was named after her. And her family name is Ziadi, May Ziadi. So she also influenced him a lot through her writing, through their correspondence. And then there is Josephine Peabody, a poet in Boston, very early on. She went to one of the exhibits of Fred Hollanday and met Chebron and really believed that he is uh, extraordinary. He is not the usual artist or the usual writer. He, he had started to write, but only in Arabic. And they became very good friends. Some would say they became lovers, maybe. And he would read to her, translate to her what he wrote in Arabic and read it in English. He would translate it just to read it to her. And she called him my little prophet. So it could be that the title, The Prophet, came from Josephine Peabody. And then she's the one when maybe at that time they were no more lovers. And she introduced him to Mary Haskell because she wanted Mary Haskell, whom she knew about, and she was a kind of a friend of her. She knew that she can be a patron of art and of literature. She wanted her to find more places where Gibran can exhibit his work because Mary Haskell had that, these connections. So Josephine Peabody, Mary Haskell, Maze Yedi, and another Lebanese-American who was a businesswoman in New York. Her name is Marie Al-Khouri. Those four women, if you read their, the correspondence that Gibran had with them, you would be stunned about how important they were in his life. He never married. He proposed marriage to Mary Haskell. She turned him down with the reason that she's 10 years older than him. He proposed that in his early 20s. She was in her early 30s. In those days, maybe it wasn't done. I don't know. So, but he never married. But the most influential relationship, I would say it's Mary Haskell. But the other three also influenced him a lot. What's a question about Gibran that you would love to know the answer to? Ha! Huh, wow! Whoa! Whoa! I'd love to know 
if he thinks what's happening now, Lebanon is going through hell, uh, and I, this is, I, we don't want to spend time on that, but that's the fact. And the U.S., I, I think, is going through some very difficult times, and that's a fact. If he thinks we can, both Lebanon and the U.S., go beyond that and come out on a more peaceful space, in a more peaceful space, and where unity exists in a better way. You know, I'll confess that I'm skeptical of young people who have such a strong connection to Gibran and the Prophet only because I really wonder if they've lived enough life to truly understand what he's talking about. And you know, that's a very good question. I think that's the question to end on. That's the question, exactly. I think we understand it in so many different ways depending on our, our age. And it's not the age that's important, it's the experiences. When we're 18, we have a certain set of experiences. And when we're uh, 32, we have another set. And when we're 40, uh, the, these additional experiences allow us to understand the prophet with a newer lens. So we keep understanding. I read the prophet so, so many times. And I read it, of course, in English, but I also read it in Arabic. There are many translations in Arabic, and there is one in particular that I like a lot that I go back to. So I read it many times. And each time, there is a kind of a new meaning that comes up. Uh, the lenses, the lenses with which we read the prophet are many. Hi, I'm Shaista. Um, I've read it twice. I have my mouse copy and then I have my own personal copy. Um, but I wanted to ask, On Freedom is my favorite book in the book. Yeah. What is your favorite book in the book? I love Freedom. I don't know if I have one favorite. I love On Freedom. I love On Love. Yeah. Uh, those two, maybe, maybe those two. I really go back to the love one all the time and also the freedom one. The work intrigues me a lot and the children, on, your children intrigue me. I read it often and I understand it in different ways. So those four come up for me quite often. But the freedom is fabulous. I love the freedom one. Why? Why do you love freedom so much? Why? Because it has no limits. Read it. Go back and read it. It has, and it's so, prof it's so convincing also. It's so convincing. And you read it and you feel, yes, every human being has to be totally free. It's our right. It's our basic, basic right. And once you read it, you, you, you expand. I mean, it stretches your mind, your heart. It stretches everything in you. I think I also like how it, um, juxtaposes not only freedom from like state but freedom from your own self yeah it, it's uh, many dimensions of freedom yes yes that's why i said it stretches that's what i meant by it it's so many dimensions of freedom some that you didn't think about i didn't think about until i read him Okay, thus concludes this meeting of the Mouse Book Club. Very special thanks to our guest, May Rahani, 
for her generous contributions. You can find out more about her wonderful work by googling Gibran Chair, University of Maryland. Please remember to stop by mousebookclub.com and check out our book selection. Of course, mouse books make great gifts, so shop liberally. Special thanks to Tom and Colin and the rest of the team over at Lake County Press in Waukegan, Illinois, who print all of our books. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and rate us. And if you can, just a couple extra seconds and leave a review. It helps the algorithm bump the show and hopefully more people will discover us. Or better yet, just take a second and send a link to a reading enthusiast in your life. Thanks again and please join us next week.